Hello, as you may have just heard, I'm Rena Lewis and I'm Centenary Professor of Cultural Studies at London College of Fashion, University of the Arts London. And I want to apologize for speaking in English for those of you who are not English speakers, uh, I apologize. However, I am very delighted to be collaborating today with Modenisa to bring faith and fashion from London College of Fashion to the 2019 Istanbul Modest Fashion Week. And joining me on the stage today to discuss modest fashion media and markets, perceptions and realities are three experts with years of experience and a diverse range of experiences between them. Shah Urchilich, Editor-in-Chief of Hijab in Style, Stylist and journalist Hafsa Lodi, who writes for The National in the UAE and other titles, and Dilara Sadrieva, who launched the Modest Russia digital platform. Now, as is usual with faith and fashion events, I'm going to speak for a little while to set the scene on perceptions and realities about the modest fashion market and media. Then our speakers have generously agreed to provide a short presentation each for five minutes after which I have some conversation points for the four of us to consider. And I could happily talk to these amazing women for several days, but we only have one hour. And most importantly, we want to make time for questions and contributions from our audience at the end. So there'll be an opportunity for that as well. As many of you will know, modest fashion is having an undeniable fashion moment. On the catwalks and on the red carpet, we see models such as the luminous Halima Aden, who just graced the stage through there, and celebrities wearing clothing that covers the body. Now, this could be in fr frilly, prairie-style dresses with flounces and bows, or it could be in oversized, boxy jackets with 80s revival styling that obscure female contours. In the stores and in the magazines, consumers can now find garments that permit modest dressing in a range of aesthetics for a variety of ages and serving different taste communities. The marketing and branding industry now constructs Muslims especially as a significant consumer segment. The Muslim fashion market was valued at 270 billion US dollars in 2017 and is predicted to rise to 361 by 2023. Globally, the Muslim population is youthful and growing, often located in regions identified as emerging markets. It's not surprising then that brands want to forge relationships from, with those consumers to sell Muslims everything from fridges to footwear. This is a massive change. Because as many of you will also know, the mainstream media in the fashion industry has often been aversive to being publicly associated with Muslims rather than seeking them out as consumers. I'm often asked when I talk in the UK and around the world how I define modest fashion. And I always say there's no simple answer to that. And there's no single answer to that. I can't draw a diagram and say this is modest fashion. I use the term modest fashion as a sort of all-enveloping category to describe the many different ways that women from diverse religious communities style themselves in relation to their own particular understanding of their religions and their religious and community cultures. We can expect to see divergences within a particular religion, 
For example, not all Muslim women dress the same. Just look around. So too, we can find convergences, similarities between different world faiths. So there are lots of garments and styles, for example, that are favored by both Muslim and Jewish women. And we know that there are many different reasons why women dress modestly. Women may dress with modesty in mind for reasons of religious belief, political and social expression, or and to accommodate community convention. The way that women achieve fashionable modesty will change over their lifespan. Just like anyone else, few modest dresses look the same when they're 20, 40, 70, or 90. And we know that change, and sometimes inconsistency, is integral to the daily experience of modest dressing. Some modest dressing women wear a headscarf. Some never wear one. Some wear a headscarf some of the time with some people, and not to others. Different people, different places, different life phases. But central to this in relation to today's discussion is the fact that women the world over have been styling modesty and dressing fashionably for centuries. But the modern fashion industry has, until recently, pretty much ignored the needs of modest dressing women. And into this gap came pioneering designers and creative entrepreneurs from Christian, Jewish, and Muslim communities. And now we see Sikh and Hindu designers as well joining the collective. Most often, these, these entrepreneurs and designers were women, and often young women, who started to design and manufacture what they could not find to buy in the stores. The flowering in the early 21st century, over the last two decades, of a niche modest fashion industry was accompanied by initiatives in modest fashion print and digital media. And we have many digital media and print journalists here today who've been involved in this industry, in this media, for some years. Very quickly, journalists, bloggers, and brands discovered that they had customers and followers from other religious backgrounds. So the term modest fashion became popular because it was not exclusive to a single faith. It could incorporate also the many secular customers or customers who did not define themselves in terms of religion who also wanted designs with more cover. In media terms, modest fashion facilitated commentary and dialogue that ran across divisions between and within faiths, and that could cross perceived divisions between religious and secular societies. In all this, Muslim brands and social media have been by far the largest component. But the mainstream fashion industry remained mainly aloof. Religion was often regarded by designers as the opposite of fashion, except when designers plundered religious iconography or garment styles for fashion inspiration. And sometimes this met with success and approval. Sometimes, as you'll know, it caused terrible offense. And more ominously, the fashion industry often displayed an aversive attitude to the idea of being publicly associated with Muslims. And I link this to the securitizing discourse that became widespread after the 9-11 terrorist attacks in America in 2011. Within this worldview, a clash of civilizations rhetoric pictured Islam and by inference all Muslims as outside and oppositional to modern Western society. 
This was to imagine as if Muslims the world over were not equally at risk of terrorist violence, as of course we've seen so terribly in the recent murders and attacks in New Zealand. The fact that mainstream fashion brands and media are now signaling that they are cool with Muslims and that they're very interested in selling clothes as modest fashion is a huge cultural shift. Whilst the current trend for modest aesthetics will, I expect, go off-trend because fashion constantly cycles around, we cannot underestimate the social and political significance of this recent commercial development. Mainstream brands are convinced by the business case and they can see the advantage for brand messaging of looking woke to religious diversity as well as racial and ethnic and social diversity. It may be even that if modest fashion goes off trend as a thing, it may become mainstreamed or incorporated as a routine segment of brand offering, as some brands have done with sustainable fashion as one of their ranges or part of their component. What should be becoming clear to the global fashion industry is that modest dresses around the world from diverse faith and social backgrounds are distinguished as much by a myriad of taste preferences as they are by different personal and cultural interpretations of modesty. This includes, of course, women who cover their hair and women who do not cover their hair. For designers, digital influencers, and distributors, it is crucial to understand the enormous variety of how Muslims and others style modesty. A company like Modenisa that sells in markets around the world has already built a highly developed understanding of what I call multiple modesties. For them, knowing about multiple modesties, about different cultural and commercial modesty variables is doing normal business, it's integrated. So too for media makers on and offline whose readers span the globe. It's essential to understand the nuance of how cultural, regional, religious, secular, and style sensibilities inform each other in different locations. To help us think through the opportunities and challenges of this modest fashion moment in local, regional, and global contexts in which the imaging of women as modest is becoming an accepted component of fashion iconography, we are lucky to have three wonderful speakers, and I'm just going to introduce them in a little more detail now before they get their moment on the mic. Turkish-born Shahinat, or Shah Erçelic, is now resident in Miami, Florida, from where she became co-founder and editor-in-chief of modest fashion mag magazine, Hijab in Style. This was launched in 2018 with her business partner, Mustafa Tunca. Correct. Prior to that, Shah, who likes to keep busy, opened her boutique, Fashion in Style, in 2004. She's tuned into local taste yeah. as a boutique owner, but also speaks to a global audience on her social media and pulls in contributors from around the world for the magazine. It's distributed in the United States, Turkey, and the Middle East, and available digitally for readers everywhere. From the United Arab Emirates in our fabulously international lineup, stylist Hafsa Lodi writes on fashion and style for The National, where she's both been on staff as a team member in fashion and now also freelances with them and other titles. Hafsa provides visuals and commentary on her social media platforms. 
and we shall look to Hasfa for the inside scoop on how the luxury media especially understands or fails to understand the nuanced taste distinctions across the Gulf regions and also for her thoughts on the links and differences, the overlaps between local, expat, and migrant fashion habits. Our third speaker, Delaria Sadrieva, grew up in Moscow during the Soviet era, in which the open practice or teaching of her family's Tatar Muslim heritage was not publicly possible. As a designer, entrepreneur, and digital host, Delara has been instrumental in developing social enterprise projects to help other Muslim Russian women fulfill their potential. Having previously run her own fashion brand, Bella Karima, Delara is now occupied as founder and editor of Modest Russia Digital Platform. Welcome, please, our speakers. <laughs> and now we hand over to Shah. And that should be your first slide? Yes. Yes. So <coughs> if you press that button there, you go forward. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Salam alaikum, everyone. Hello. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to thank, first of all, the organ um, who participated. I'm sorry, I, I'm not used to talking to such a big crowd. This is for my first, please apologize. And <laughs> I'm extremely, extremely nervous. I Just hope I can make us. it. Talk to us. Uh, well, before I talk to God, <laughs> he knows everything, but... No, talk to us. <laughs> Just think of it as a small audience. So, yeah. Um, well, I would like to thank first uh, that everyone who participated in organization of this event uh, and I'm really humbled and honored to be with you guys in the stage with you. Thank you so much. And um, I think this event is very valuable for the future of um, modest fashion since it mm -hmm. gathers all the leaders of this sector and also gives a platform to designers and modest fashion uh, people uh, to showcase their art and work. And this is amazing. I'm really uh, happy to uh, to be part of this and um, uh, well I do not want to take much of your time and I hope you enjoy our little talk. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go through your slides? <laughs> yeah um, in our first slide I think this is our first slide what? Yes. Uh, this is one? Yes that's the next one. Fashion is a way of communication. Uh, humankind has communicated non-verbally via fashion throughout the history. Uh, especially women um, express themselves um, non-verbally through fashion uh, with their, uh, I mean, with others. And uh, we can, uh, for that reason, we can say that fashion started very early ages since, um, and the historian says that fashion starts all the way back to 40,000 years ago. Women uh, make necklaces through seashells and use it. So that shows that we were uh, still looking for some way of communication and finding beauty. So, um, uh, yeah, and ancient Egyptians used to wear airy clothes and um, in Roman times, people were prefer sandals and you know tunics, whereas uh, um, Greece people used to cover themselves with 
a piece of clothing without any stitching. Of course, there are many factors on the way they dress because maybe environmental, uh, climate, uh, gender and religion and beliefs, all factors of this uh, choice of dressing. Um, of course, the quality of the materials and the colors of the fabric chosen also indicates uh, the statue of the people in the society. And for example, purple uh, color were indication of nobility. And in, in medieval Europe, people, royal people will use this color a lot. So <laughs> what you wore was basically the main uh, indicators of who you are, who you were. Thanks God, it's, thank God it's no longer like that. <laughs> so we don't have to, you know, uh, you know, degree with colors. No. So, uh, well. Um, on your next slide. Yeah, let's go to the next one. <laughs> Should I do it? For fashion for Muslim women, um, Muslim fashion market has reached $254 million, billion. Uh, of course, the fashion con concept for us, uh, you know, Muslim women, is quite different than, you know, uh, the mainstream fashion. So we have um, uh, the clothing is our uh, indicators of our identity. So the way we choose our dresses, the way we um, uh, is any uh, <laughs> uh, sorry about that and our sensitivity about what we wear how we wear it is uh, of course part of what we choose to wear so uh, on one way we are trying to express ourselves with the way I, we dress and on the other hand we are trying to keep our responsibility uh, responsibilities to God and also to keep our inner peace. Um, <coughs> Muslim women and their worries had been ignored and underserved by the mainstream fashion all these years until they realized that, that this, this is a huge market. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, $264 billion of market that they've been ignoring. And this market is growing day by day, every day. And Finally, they realized that they, they shouldn't be ignoring and they should you know, uh, make more investments to please uh, the woman who prefers to wear modestly. Uh, according to article by Fast Company, um, yes, as we mentioned, Muslim fashion sector is a $254 billion market. And the luxury market has seen a 50% increase on, on clothing pieces that has long sleeves and necklines. So every day also uh, almost 8,000 uh, searches on Google of modesty, modest clothing. So every day, um, uh, every month in Google, they can see this increase. And we're going to run out of time. Let's go okay. on to the next one. one. Okay. Yeah, so thank you. Go, oh, you I'll skip go, to the next, go to the next slide. The next slide. Okay. 
Uh, yes, modest fashion is on the rise, and luxury brands create special collections for Muslim women and present. Since the since, since we were uh, making, you know, uh, they realized that this this is a huge market. The new big names, the uh, the fashion houses start uh, making collections for Muslim women, and like. Until 10 years ago, we would really it would be dream to see uh, sisters on the stage, or you know, uh, like Halima and you know, uh, on stages. They are now uh, representing us. And let's go to the next one, right? Yes. Yeah, we skip. The effects of successful women. Our voice is heard more thanks to the successful woman. Muslim women from all over the world. Of course, the, with the uh, social media, we, we see more Muslim sisters' uh, voice uh, getting higher, as we see Ilhan Omar and Ibtihaj Muhammad, Bibi Zubedi, and many more that we cannot name right now, but there are a lot of amazing, wonderful sisters who are doing great things for, not only for themselves, for, for Muslim community. So. Uh, of course, all these accomplishments have produced the negativity towards Muslim uh, women all over the world. And thanks to them, we appreciate their efforts and you know, work. And then the next one, effects of social media. Yes, social media has helped Muslim women, uh, of course, not only uh, non-Muslim, but also Muslim women to raise their voice. And with the social media, as we see a lot of sisters, of course, we see some of here, Nilofa, and Rubai, Asiya, Dian Palangi, with their amazing work. Uh, they are reaching to <laughs> millions of uh, people around the world. And maybe by the time we talk, they reach even more millions of people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is that it? The last one. The last one, yeah, future is bright. Modest fashion will grow, getting strong with its stakeholders from its customer to designer. Well, um, this is our... Mm -hmm. Since modest fashion is, since, uh, is growing, uh, of course, uh, I see the future brighter for us. And since the mainstream and also the media is giving more space to Muslim women. Uh, this will allow us to uh, spread our word and our positivity to whole world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. We have to. Thank yeah. you. And thank, thank you so much. Thank for you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to point out that our wonderful speakers have had to prepare themselves and put their presentations together at extremely short notice. So we are very, very especially thankful to them. I'm now going to pass over to Hafsna. That button on the right will advance your slides. Okay. Hi, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Hafsa. Um, I'm a fashion and lifestyle journalist based in the UAE. I'm American and Pakistani originally. So I just want to give you a bit of a background how I got into fashion journalism and how I came to specialize in modest fashion specifically. So my first big feature story as a journalist was about honor killings in Canada. So there had been a few honor killings uh, in Muslim communities in Canada. And the media coverage was very, um, it was painting them as, oh, this is a Muslim thing. These are, you know, barbaric families. So just for, you, for those of you who don't know, uh, honor killings are when 
Uh, a woman is killed by her family for being too westernized. Maybe she had a boyfriend or she had an affair or something like that. And her family then killed her. So m how did I get from that to fashion? <laughs> so that was a, a bit of a heavy topic. And I noticed one big trend in this coverage was that the portrayal of Muslim women in the media and the abaya and the niqab were consistently used as the images to represent the Muslim woman. So living in Dubai, I knew that that's not the Muslim woman, the abaya and niqab, that there's so much more to her than that. So I started um, my first kind of fashion story linking Middle Eastern culture and Islam with with modest fashion was uh, about how abayas were being referenced by designers in 2012, so almost 10 years ago, um, in Paris. So my editor at the time thought that, is this really a story? Is this a trend? She was a bit skeptical at first, um, but I, I convinced her and uh, look at us now, like the abayas are being consistently referenced by designers, they're a big trend. And then also in 2012, um, I pitched the story about, oh, there's some modest fashion bloggers coming up around. And there was this, in my mind, this kind of clash that modesty is about, you know, not standing out and blogging is kind of the opposite. So I was just, we were exploring that through, through the story. So this is almost 10 years ago, and these were kind of the first two stories that I did about this topic. And then fast forward to today, and there's every day basically a new modest fashion story that's emerging. These are just some of the articles I've written for The National and for Mojay magazine, uh, based in the UAE. So I also do some styling. So this is just some styling we've done uh, for Luxury magazine, which is based out of Abu Dhabi. So we have the conservative Abu Dhabi readership, but we also have a large expat population in the UAE. So there was always this kind of struggle of showcasing modest fashion in a way that will appeal to a large readership. So our kind of modesty parameters were, as you can see, like we wouldn't show a spaghetti strap dress. We wouldn't show something that's like a thigh length dress. So these are just some of the ways we got around it with layering and not even got, got around it. It wasn't a challenge that was difficult. It was fun. And that's kind of the theme of modest fashion today. Layering is fun to cover your body. So for this, for instance, if you look at a fashion magazine and there's like a shot in a pool, oftentimes it's a woman in a bikini or, you know, showing a lot of skin and it's vulgar. But we did a very tasteful, this is a Gucci dress and we paired it with a skin colored top underneath. Then this is a jumpsuit by Dubai-based brand OTT. And the neckline was a bit low. It was a bit too plunging. So we just added something else under it to give it, you know, to make it a bit more modest. There's a lot more modesty we could have done. We could have covered their necks up to their chins. We could have covered their head. And in other shoots we have, this is just an example of, you know, baby steps. <laughs> and that's it for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, let Delara. Oh, you uh, need to click one more time. Sorry. Yeah. My name is Delara Sadriva. I'm from Moscow, Russia. Um, I'm a modest fashion expert and researcher. Um, uh, I keep to a modest uh, concept for 20, uh, year, 22 years already, so and now I do my best to share my experience and facilitate um, 
emerging brands um, and uh, organizations who are interested in modest fashion to tap this market, to understand the customer, to understand what modest fashion is. Um, so, um, uh, every time I have a lot of questions, what is modest fashion in Russia? Um, everybody is interested uh, because uh, uh, you don't have uh, much information. Uh, we are a bit uh, like separated uh, from other world uh, because maybe not many people speak English. That's why um, you can't read a lot about um, the way we live and about the modest customer and about Muslims. So I'll try uh, to uh, give you some tips about it. Um, I'd like to show you some brands uh, for you to have an idea um, uh, what we have. Uh, let me introduce you one of the pioneers of modest fashion in Russia. Uh, she created collection for Muslim for about um, 16 years already. Um, uh, her name is Rusiko. Um, and um, now uh, there is a lot of hype about modest fashion everywhere. We can see models on the catwalks and uh, magazines write about it, etc. But can you imagine that she showed her um, collection at Mercedes, Moscow Mercedes Fashion Week uh, at 2011 or 12 already, when nobody uh, spoke about modest fashion, nobody knew. But she also um, keeps to modest concept herself. She is a Muslim. She is a converted Muslim uh, for many, many years. And uh, so she was, I think, the first who showed a uh, modest uh, collection on a big catwalk. You can see it's very creative. She's a professional designer. So the style is like this, and uh, besides, uh, she also um, made um, a swimwear collection for uh, Italy brand. It, it was also, I think, in 2012. You can see it's very creative. By the way, when I saw it one uh, retail um, platform, I, ju I just enjoyed, I wanted this uh, uh, swimwear because uh, I have never seen uh, something similar before. Um, only, only after this, I recognized that it, because I thought it's Italian brand. I didn't know that that was my friend who made this collection <laughs> for it. <laughs> really, very. Uh, I was so much surprised. Uh, besides, um, as we as we say, modest concept is very inclusive. It's not just about um, Muslim fashion. So. Um, and you know, I live in the place, uh, we have a lot of Orthodox Christians just in the center. I live just in the center of Orthodox Church, uh, Muslim, uh, Christians <laughs> live just in the center. So I can see that the style um, is very, uh, very similar. At the same time, uh, I'd like to show you one brand, it's a luxury brand. Uh, there is nothing uh, in common with some religious concept about it, but they revive um, ancient Russian Slav traditions. Uh, they have some special embroidery that revived this uh, from ancient uh, centuries. 
And the concept is absolutely modest, and um, the founder of the brand is modest herself. He keeps a modest life. She is neither a Christian nor a Muslim. Um, but um, this is, by the way, one of my favorite brands because it just um, shows in the best way what is modesty for me, for example, and for many others. You can see the line and design and colors and everything. Uh, very decent, because uh, modesty is uh, about decency, f first of all. Uh, and can you imagine, um, uh, as I told you, she revives a Russian Slav culture, and, but her designs are very, very popular in the Middle East. She has a lot of customers and inquiries from Middle East customers, because it's unique, it's a real luxury. Uh, and for those who is looking for something special, unique, and modest, so these are her customers. We also have, uh, this is uh, Araida brand, uh, um, another example. Uh, they also presented their collection at Mercedes, uh, Moscow Mercedes Fashion Week uh, some years ago. They also, um, by the way, um, they were awarded uh, as one of, to, uh, uh, one of three top designers as uh, emerging brands, modest fashion brands at Dubai Modest Fashion Week, among uh, 200 uh, inquiries from all over the world, from brands all over the world. So this brand w was one of the uh, top three. Um, also, um, this brand was also presented at mainstream um, um, fashion weeks. Uh, you can see the style. Well, from uh, this, uh, these designers are also Muslims. They are two sisters, but they wear different style. Uh, and um, you can see um, floral design is very popular um, in, our in our country. The, this style is dresses like this. Just for you to, <laughs> to understand, we have uh, maybe the same. And as I look through, I have to look through many collections from all over the world, different brands, different countries, because I make analytics uh, about modest fashion all over the world. So I, I must say that uh, Australian designers are very similar, and the style is very similar and very suitable, and the Turkish too. Uh, I think um, um, Turkish designers can be very popular um, in Russia, uh, and uh, I, I know that many retailers, many buyers come to, uh, come to Turkey to buy uh, because uh, the design and the price is uh, very good. We also have some no, uh, new brands, uh, uh, like from Youth People concept, very contemporary. And you can see that the style is very different because uh, modest fashion rush is very diverse. Uh, and besides, uh, we have mainstream designers that are very, very popular and beloved by even first ladies. You know, uh, Sheikha Moza loves uh, Ulyana Sergienka designs and, and it wears, uh, she wears it a lot. This is also. And also, um, Sheikha Rania wears uh, Russian designers clothes. So um, many brands already want to tap this market. This picture I made just in the center of Moscow. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> that means that big brands want to tap this market and uh, to try. So, well, maybe um, I, I have a lot to, t <laughs> to tell you, but maybe you ask questions later on. We'll we don't have, have many times. Yes, Thank you some so tips. much, Daria. Thank you. So, we are contending with it being extremely warm here and now extremely noisy. So I apologize for that. Apparently we can't do anything about it. So we have to try not to be distracted by the terrible noise coming from downstairs. Thank you for those fascinating presentations. There's so much richness and range across the world, but also, as you all pointed out, points of connection. I thought I would start by asking a little bit about opportunities and challenges in the fashion media, both digital print, television, um, and social media. Because I know from my own research that when the first round of religious lifestyle magazines, whether they were Jewish or Christian or Muslim started, they found it very hard to interact with the fashion industry. You know, you did that shoot with luxury products. 15 years ago, you couldn't have got those clothes sent to the offices of a magazine associated with religion. And what that meant, especially for Muslim titles, was that very often the professionals working on those titles were not themselves Muslim or religious, and they encountered that sort of prejudice. Do you think we're getting to a point now where careers in the media are easier for people from religious backgrounds with different forms of, of religious observance, and also whether knowing about modest fashion is becoming a career asset for people. So if you're a media professional, if you're a stylist or a journalist or a photographer, does it now look good on your CV to say, oh, I've done some modest fashion shoots or styling I've developed? Maybe we should start with you, because you had to pitch those stories back in the day. Yes, yeah, so I think with styling especially, it comes down to the press offices of these brands. Before, modest fashion was considered frumpy, matronly, not trendy. Now, uh, with this whole modest fashion boom, all these designers know that Muslims and Arabs especially have this, this spending power. So they want their products to be in these magazines in the Middle East and that have anything to do with religion. So now they are actually, I think it's the opposite, they're chasing down these magazines in the wow. Middle East and they want their products to be, you know, they want these advertorials, they want to be in the shoots. Do um, they ever, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, do they ever lay any specifications about how it can be styled? Yes, so um, the big brands like, I mean, Chanel and uh, Saint Laurent, these brands, their specifications are don't use any other brands. <laughs> <laughs> they just want, if you're styling one look with a Chanel dress, it has to be head to toe Chanel. That, that of course, that takes the fun out of anyone. Yeah, um, no, not the lesser, the, the lesser name brands. Sorry, for yeah, any sorry. media outlet. Uh, yes, that's their rule. That's not just for it's a modesty. No, yes, it's that, yeah, not just for modesty. But it's not that followed. I mean, styling is, you know, using different things together. So it kind of takes the fun out of styling if you conform to those rules. But... Um, in terms of modesty guidelines, no, the, the brands themselves don't really, no. That's interesting. So they yeah. never say, oh, well, we don't mind if you show the evening dress with a turtleneck, but we don't want to show it with a scarf, or we don't so want I to I haven't show had that experience. That's right. That really would be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you had also asked if putting, you know, modesty on your CV is uh, like a, an asset. And I think that, as nice as that sounds, that's really milking it. Like, I think anybody with any eye for style can, 
can style modest clothing. Like, it's just about layering and keeping true to, you know, trends and what's going on in fashion, what looks good. It doesn't have to be just Muslim women who are heading this, this yeah, movement. Exactly. Anybody can style, like, look at the, the storefronts of Zara and H&M, and even ASOS just did a big modest wear collection. Not all of the, there's not, hardly any of these women behind these initiatives are women, are, sorry, are Muslim, but you're able to take clothing and put them together to make them modest, no matter what religion you're from. Dilara, you wanted to come in there. Uh, yes, uh, th that's what I try to explain, what modest fashion is, uh, because uh, there is much misunderstanding, even for those who want to highlight this topic. They don't understand, and sometimes uh, it, uh, it, it's a bit awkward, uh, to, to see uh, their works. Uh, I wanted to show you one slide with Officiel. Um, I think that was not a good experience, though they highlighted modest fashion and put a model in a hijab uh, on the cover. Uh, it was a wrong message for our audience. That means uh, they do not understand, but uh, they want to hype on this topic. So what uh, I, I do, I do my best to explain uh, so, so they send the right, uh, right understanding, send the right message, and uh, they could apply in a better way to any modest customer. And have you had that experience when you've been working in the media or recruiting um, people to contribute to your, your magazine? Do you find that you have people who are not Muslim that want to write for you now? Oh, yeah. I have, I have a lot of people uh, who would like to contribute, even though they're not Muslim. They oh, love uh, modesty and they want to be a part of it. So it's really not that difficult. They, they like and they respect the idea of modesty. It's not, modesty is not just for Muslim people. So, you know. I'm sorry. I'm oh, okay. So modesty is not just for Muslim people. So we, I have uh, been approached with a lot of writers who has great interest in modesty. So they respect the idea, women preferring to and dress. And do you find that you have to explain things to them, the detail, the nuance, or do they already get it? So in what it, in what matter, like you know, well, styling, you, styling or opinion or the language they use, the, the way that they express things. Of course, we have some, you know, uh, expectations. Of course, we share with our opinion and how, what we expect them to, you know, uh, to write their subject. So we, we can't use certain, you know, job um, and style. So it's not. Yeah, that's. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it speaks for, for itself. <laughs> the name hijab is, you know, uh, itself yeah. shows that what we are going for and what we are highlighting. So uh, we cannot do any bans in that case. So yeah, you know, if they don't want to be part of it, they're welcome to not to be part of it. So it's and it's our rules or <laughs> but no one rules. Of, but part of what you're doing is training up a generation of media professionals in understanding this particular market. You know, people who do fashion spreads on maternity wear haven't necessarily had babies themselves, exactly. but they will have got that specialism. And I know at London College of Fashion, a lot of our students in fashion media, fashion journalism and photography 
are very interested in this area of modest fashion and want to find out how they can develop the language and the nuance to do that. So that seems to me yeah, to be I a mean, very big change. If they want to advertise in our magazine, we, we make sure that their products, the way they showcase their products has to be in certain way. So they, sh they cannot show uh, skin or legs and, you know, uh, it's okay to show hair, but, you know, it still has to be in, in a modest way. So, so in that case, yeah, we have to, you know, uh, we let them know that our criteria and what we are expecting them to, to showcase. Let's turn to the fashion market and designers. Um, now that the global fashion industry has woken up to the size of the world's Muslim market for fashion and lifestyle, is this going to create opportunities for modest fashion brands that have emerged from within the Muslim community, or does it threaten their market share? I know that when Nike brought out their pro hijab, for example, lots of people were very excited about it, and many modest fashion commentators celebrated this, that they were getting attention from a global giant, but others worried that this would edge out the smaller brands who had already chosen to support a maligned community. So is it a threat or an opportunity or both? To be honest, I, to be honest, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's, it will, go, it will uh, create more possibilities. Uh, right now, Muslim population is 1.6 billion. So in 2025, it's going to be 3 billion. That means population is growing, though, so the demand will be grow, growing as well. So it will be the market's going, getting bigger, and we need more creators, more brands, and more creativity in the sector. So it will rise the quality of the products, actually. So I, I believe this is a huge and you know, a great, amazing uh, Thing. So, so I it's don't going think to be a win-win. Yeah, win-win. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, I'm very interested in what you say, but it will raise the level of the quality. Exactly. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, you know, like you said, uh, right now all big fashion houses is uh, trying to serve the the Muslim woman who spends money. So while while they are doing that, they have the capacity and they have the money to do so, right? So now the little small uh, brands, designers, they will also try to give the same kind of quality, but maybe uh, with less price. So yeah. that's going to be a, you know, uh, uh, a good, so at one point, consumers for modest fashion were grateful just to have anything, and they would buy what they could get. But now, if there's more availability on the market, exactly. your product exactly. has to make the grade. Exactly. That's very interesting. Hafsna, what are your thoughts on that? So I think um, modesty becoming trendy is a bit of a double-edged sword for up-and-coming designers. On one hand, they're, they're super thrilled that modesty is now stylish and that their clothing will appeal to more people than before. Maybe they were only selling to religious, conservative women. Now, with modesty being stylish, they have a wider consumer base. Um, but, like you said with Nike, they did their pro hijab under Wrapped, uh, a UK-based brand. She had done an athletic hijab a year before Nike. Well, she had started conceptualizing it. 
but then Nike became the, you know, the athletic hijab. So it does add, it, there's a lot of competition. There, there have been Muslim designers making athletic hijabs. Yeah. Um, so, and now like if Zara and H&M and Marks and Spencer are all doing modest clothing at accessible price points, designers who were selling through Instagram and through their contacts to these modest consumers, they have a lot of competition now and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to sustain a business. And the fashion industry is a heartless industry. Of I mean, course. it's a really hard industry with a really high failure rate. So that's across the board yeah. for anything. But this does make yeah. it more difficult. I think that's very interesting because you mentioned um, Underwrapped. And Yasmin, when I was talking with her about it, said, you know, she'd hurt. She'd started, as you say. Yeah. And then she thought, OK, what else? I need to refocus yeah. slightly. You know, I can't compete with that. On the other hand, it also then creates another garment. Yeah that then there is going to be more room for diffusion. Yeah. But you have to, it, it does increase the risk in that yeah. way. Yes, I agree with you. Daria. Well, sometimes I'm surprised why uh, consumers are getting excited when uh, big brands uh, pay attention to them. Because we have very good brands that know the customer that produce a quality product. Uh, I don't think you should be excited when all big brands um, attract the attention to us. Uh, we should be uh, confident uh, and uh, uh, the brands, uh, mainstream brands uh, who want to tap this market, still they, mm, they should research uh, values um, and the consumer in, the, in a better way um, to bring the right product. Sometimes the product is, uh, is not right, but because of this hype, because of uh, they have big marketing, um, they have big money for marketing. So um, it's difficult to compete, but the consumer should uh, be self-confident self -confident too. That's and our brand should be self-confident too. Sha, you wants to come in? Well, uh, as much as uh, you know, it will create competition, I think it's going to raise the quality, that, like I said earlier, because not everybody can afford uh, those high-end brands. And so what uh, they put out there is not necessarily for everyone. So there will be still a huge market that like small brands or other brands and designers to you know, uh, raise. So I don't think this is going to create a huge problem for, you know, small brands. I like your point that consumers have to become more confident, that you don't have to be grateful that someone simply noticed that you existed. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the development of any consumer segment as well, is both first there's nothing, then there's the homegrown, and then, oh, look, they, they know we're here. So yes, I think you're right. And I think the bigger brands will have to start to take notice of that. Um, I have some more questions, but I am also aware that you've not had a chance. Is there anybody that wanted to ask anything of our panel? Okay, um, I think we have a microphone to go to you. If you wouldn't mind waiting for the microphone because we're recording this. And we have peace and quiet for a moment. It's wonderful. Please Hello. go ahead. Hello, my name is Zeynep and I'm covering the event for uh, Gulton.com. Uh, based in the United States uh, and my question is can't can you hear okay yeah. uh, my question is so there are a couple of buzzwords in the mainstream media such as sustainability 
becoming dressing comfortably and natural materials, etc. So, what do you think about these buzzwords? Uh, do they have any place in the modest fashion industry? Um, I think there is very much in common because modest fashion is not just about covering, it's, um, it's philosophy and the sustainability is very close to it. That's why I think uh, sustainability and uh, the points you mentioned is just part of modest fashion. So that's why uh, I think the concepts are very close, so it, they can keep together. <laughs> and one of the things, because I always used to ask when I was interviewing brands over the last two decades, I would always ask, is sustainability a factor for you? And is it something you hear from your consumers? And it would be, you know, a little bit, or there were a few brands who were really focused on that. And sometimes for small brands, who have less opportunity to visit their factories, to see the entire production circuit. It's quite difficult to really follow through on that. But I think as the public consumer consciousness about sustainability has grown, for a lot of people it's melded very effectively with Islamic or other spiritual values, which is that, you know, as you say, covering the parts of your body you think should be covered might be one component, but if the clothing you're doing it with has been produced by sweated labor or in ways that damage the physical environment, then that doesn't sit for so well. So there's an increasing intersect with that as well. In the same ways we see with other sectors, so the halal, market, the halal food market now, is increasingly sophisticated. It's not just about mass market, cheap food, it's also organic beef, um, sustainably produced chicken, organic vegetables and so on. And that's again because, as you were saying, um, Dilara, that the, the consumers have become more demanding and also consumers yes. with enough money to spend on those higher premium products. Do we have another question or contribution? Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna, do I, do I need to finish now? I think, I think maybe we should wind up because I know another fashion show is starting shortly. Let me just say a few thank yous. Not yet. <laughs> oh, I'm in a mess. I would like to thank everyone here at Modenisa that has worked so hard to make this event possible and our hardworking translator who didn't have these scripts in advance <laughs> and who's worked really hard to bring all this through to you. I would like to thank the team at London College of Fashion who've collaborated on supporting this external international faith and fashion event and also Dr. Lina Malokatos Liederman, who's been working with me on this. Lena is going to wave because if any of you would like to receive notification of faith and fashion events in London and elsewhere, and to know when our new podcasts go up, please go and write neatly on Lena's form and we will be delighted to add you. I also thank you, our audience, for staying with us through this terrible noise <laughs> and for your contributions. But most of all, please join me in thanking our three wonderful speakers. Thank you very thank much. Thank you.